Welcome to the Create Space Podcast, a podcast about celebrating creativity, spotlighting creators, and talking about the industry, technology, and interesting things that are happening in the creative space. Create Space is a creative community dedicated to building bridges between creatives. We believe that a community is stronger than a network, and we dream of connecting creatives across all disciplines, interests, and backgrounds. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode four of the Create Space podcast. I'm Editor Brian, and I am your host. And this episode of the Create Space podcast is brought to you by the Create Space Discord community. Join our online creative community linked in the show notes below. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Once again, the heading on my notes reads, things I'm thinking about or things I am learning lately. And the first topic that I want to talk about is kind of And the first topic that I want to cover is something that a lot of people have been talking about lately in a positive way. We're not talking about AI today. Maybe that'll be next week. Maybe that'll be another day. But today we are talking about VR, mixed reality, and the future. Just kind of my thoughts on the Apple Vision Pro, my thoughts on VR, my thoughts on the direction that this could go. Of course, I'm no analyst or anyone qualified to predict anything related to this, but I wanted to share my thoughts on the future of this new-ish medium that might be picking up adoption majorly with Apple entering the space, because that tends to be what happens. So we'll see how the future goes here, but I think the Apple Vision Pro, as it stands right now, obviously, uh, is not in reach for the vast majority of people. It is just simply not uh, affordable for the vast majority of people, but I think it has a ton of potential. And I'm trying to be open-minded about it, of course. I would love to have one, you know, as any good Apple fanboy would. So I record this on my MacBook with my Apple Watch on and my iPhone next to me and an iPad in my bag and all of that jazz and Apple TV in my living room. I love Apple stuff. I want all the Apple stuff as much as I can. Usually it's out of my price range, but, you know, I grab what I can. But I would love to have the Apple Vision Pro even if it's not the most useful thing, even though I know it's a Gen 1 product and it'll be quickly replaced by something better or cheaper or both. But I think it has a ton of potential, even though this isn't the product for mass adoption with a $3,500 price tag and all that. But the biggest thing that VR and mixed reality and augmented reality or whatever you want to call it, spatial computing is Apple's brand name on it, kind of, of their label. Ultimately, what these things need is they need content and they need killer apps. And Apple is already trying to make content more uh, applicable. The iPhone has had LiDAR built in on the back camera array for a while, as well as has the iPad uh, and all of those devices for the last five years, four years at least, quite a while have had capabilities to do really great AR, uh, augmented reality content. You see 3D room scanners and stuff like that and things that allow you to place 3D objects into real space and do all kinds of crazy things with them. And then that's not also to mention the iPhone 15 having the capability of recording spatial video and the way that they've implemented things like panoramic photos into the Vision Pro that I've seen some demos on and stuff like that. Ultimately, Apple understands this too. What these 
platforms need is killer content and killer apps. They need content. They need killer apps because if there's nothing to do on the platform, people are going to buy it and be disappointed and they're not going to tell their friends to buy it. They're going to say, hey, there's nothing to do here. There's nothing here for you. Don't bother. And that's going to get out. And you don't even need to be friends with someone to hear that this platform has nothing on it. You can just read the news or listen to a podcast or read an Instagram comment or a Twitter post or whatever. And uh, negativity travels fast and far. So Apple wants to keep this platform afloat. As an Apple fan, here's how I would say this. Apple doesn't usually invent a whole lot or innovate necessarily in, in the traditional sense. A lot of people get on Apple for like, you know, like Apple didn't invent the mouse back in the day, but they were the first platform to really legitimize it and push it out to the masses. If I don't want to necessarily say if it weren't for Apple, we wouldn't be using mice with our computers or anything like that. But, you know, you think of things like a tablet or the smartphone or an iPod, like MP3 players existed and stuff like that. All of those things existed before Apple's iterations of them. Obviously, laptops have existed for a while. Workstation laptops have existed for a long time. The MacBook and the MacBook Pro are not necessarily unique in that way. Neither are Apple's M1, M2, M3 series of chips. They're not unique innovations that no one's ever made before, but their execution of them and their way to market them and push them out to the mass market is unique. And that generally lends to Apple leading market trends in a lot of ways, even though something like the MetaQuest has taken over the VR market in a lot of different ways. You know, we had the Valve Index a few years ago or the HTC Vive way back. And there there have been other platforms, but the Oculus originally and now MetaQuest have had the most staying power and Meta's been pushing it really hard and they've done it really successfully for a reason. I've heard the Quest 3 is a fantastic upgrade over the Quest 2, which is I think only the only VR headset that I've used, at least the only modern VR headset that I've used so far. Even though Apple isn't inventing augmented reality or virtual reality or a headset like this necessarily, the trails they are blazing are setting market trends and getting more people's attention on this market. And I wouldn't be surprised, while there are already a number of players in the VR and AR space, I wouldn't be shocked if Apple kind of starts the trend of other big manufacturers and companies jumping into this space as well, especially if the Vision Pro at its current price point does at least half decent because somebody is going to try and undercut Apple and that's going to drive the prices of these headsets in the future way, way down. Competition will ultimately be what brings augmented reality or spatial computing or whatever you want to call it to the mass market, I think. And at that point, the people that jump on now or the people that jump on in the next year or two or even three years, maybe five years, will be the ones that are ahead of the game. So as creatives, here's where I want to bring this home to. If you are creative, you need to be thinking about how you might be able to make unique experiences with these platforms and with these tools that you now have available that didn't exist before. You know, Premiere Pro has had their VR 
effects and stuff built in for a while for like stereoscopic and monoscopic video for VR headsets and creating 3D video and all of that. YouTube has supported 3D video for a few years now, um, but you need to be thinking about like, how can you craft a unique experience to really take advantage of these tools? Because if you're on the ground floor of this and you come up with something really cool and you execute it well, it's not that any one piece of content that you create as a random creative for all intents and purposes is going to be what sells thousands or millions of dollars worth of these headsets for these companies it's not people aren't going to flock to buy the apple vision pro just because you create something cool with it not in the same way that they would when like disney or netflix or youtube or whatever jump on board or some of the bigger players in the creative space start creating content that people care about with recognized ips and marketing and all of that could sell headsets but rather you can benefit by proxy from all of that stuff your content can get more exposure you could gain a reputation as that's the guy that makes spatial video that's really cool like this guy makes movies for spatial video like that's awesome you know whatever that ends up looking like for you whether that's short form content educational content whether you have an app idea whether you have some kind of a content idea that can uniquely leverage these platforms creating a cool experience that impacts people is now there's a whole new level of that unlocked with these platforms and i think it's something that could be worth investigating for you so something to think about something to ponder over the coming years as these platforms change. And I'm not saying you should go buy an Apple Vision Pro to go create something with it right now necessarily. That price is very prohibitive to a lot of people. Uh, the hype is going to die down eventually because nobody can afford it, but it will get drummed back up again when something more affordable comes out. And there's already rumors about Apple releasing like a pair of like glasses rather than like a proper headset that could be a cheaper version of the Vision Pro or something like that. But we'll see what the future holds. I'm really excited about it. I think there's a lot of potential, but let's move on to topic number two which is just simply titled Set the Ground Rules. So this is talking about when you are stepping into a project with a client. And before you step into a project with a client, you need to make sure that the expectations and the boundaries and the scope of work and all of that stuff are set out clearly and agreed upon between you and your client. I had a little bit of a panic moment with that just a couple of months ago. I had this big client shoot booked I sent them a contract that I wrote uh, up as I had just stepped into using this new platform. I'm using HoneyBook right now as a CRM and all of that to manage all of my projects. And I wrote the contract out into HoneyBook when I first got it and I sent it out to this client and I wanted to make sure that all of my bases were covered. I was really trying to make sure that as I was working with a larger company, as I was working with someone that's been in business for a long time, I want to make sure that my bases were covered, that I looked professional, that I looked good, that my company looked good, and that we looked like we had our stuff together. And I wanted to make sure that I was protected from any a rogue client because Here's the thing. Nick Goodner says it this way. I name dropped him a few times last episode. Nick Goodner says it this way. Cheap clients are not just low paying clients. Being a cheap client is a mindset. Even though this was a high paying job with a wealthy client, being a cheap client 
is ultimately a mindset in the sense that a cheap client will nitpick a lot of little details in your projects. A cheap client will not fully trust you ultimately. A cheap client will have pushback on a lot of different things. They'll have a lot to say. It'll get filtered through a lot of different people and you'll have piles and piles of notes and revisions or criticisms on your project for them. I hadn't really had to worry about having my bases covered in the past, but going into this project, I really wanted to make sure that I had my T's crossed and my I's dotted. So I wrote up a quick contract using ChatGPT, which was a huge help for getting like the baseline of it. And I look at some sources online and stuff, and I sent the contract and the client signed it and we went into the project. But after they signed the contract, like in the middle of the night that night or the next morning or whatever, like I woke up, you know, cold sweat, realizing my mistake, I wanted to cover myself with a revisions clause. My policy as listed on my website for revisions, which this client may or may not have read, but it is posted publicly, is that you get two revisions before you get an additional charge for every revision after that. And I wanted to make sure that that was clear and that was something that was agreed upon in the contract. And I completely forgot to put the clause in, but I got lucky. Thankfully, this client was a high paying client. They were also not a cheap minded client. They were not in a cheap mindset. So they got their final product. They were thrilled with it. They had a couple very reasonable revisions and we ran out, went around once or twice on the revisions of this project and then final delivery and we are good to go. So I never had to enact this clause, but this is a warning to you that you need to be specific and you need to make sure your bases are covered and you need to set ground rules before you get into a project with a client because uh, this applies to friendships, this applies to relationships like with a girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife, with siblings as well, familial relationships of all kinds, and this applies to business and client business relations unspoken expectations are unmet expectations you can't expect someone to meet expectations that you've set you can't bet on someone working within the boundaries that you've set if you don't communicate them you are going to be disappointed if you don't communicate the expectations that you have and like i said it applies to business as well as much as it does to different relationships in our lives going into this project it was a real risk because i didn't lay out the ground rules thoroughly enough to say hey we only have two rounds two rounds of revisions i put up a one for some reason we only have two rounds of revisions for this project before there's an additional charge and that's just to clamp down on frivolous time wasting of like all right I need you to move this one frame over here and then re-export and then send it back and then they come back and they're like, okay, now we need this moved over here. And it takes three days to go back and forth between every single round of revisions. And before you know it, we're three months in and I've spent seven extra hours over the course of these three months just tweaking one or two little things and re-exporting and uploading and talking to the client and going back and forth, trying to prevent all of that song and dance. So I got lucky. Don't let that put you at ease entirely. Just make sure you clearly define the scope of work. Hear what your client wants. Talk through what the deliverables are. Repeat it back to them. Put it in writing. Get a signature on it. And if you're writing a contract or you're sending a contract, make sure that it's written to cover all of your bases. Make sure it covers what some of the deliverables are. Make sure it covers what the scope of work is. Make sure it covers what the expectations are for timeline and for budget and for revisions and for usage rights and stuff like that. So 
And setting boundaries with the scope of work and things like that is super, super important because if you don't set boundaries, the client will do it for you and it could shift things completely out of control. I've had scope creep impact a lot of my projects in the past with different lower paying, cheap minded clients that I've worked with over the years, especially when I was just getting started. I'm sure we all have stories like that. But this is also a healthy practice for you and a helpful practice for you on your personal projects. If you define what you want to make and you make sure that it's achievable, I think you're more likely to follow through. If you say, okay, today I'm sitting down and I'm recording this video, or I'm going to edit this project, or I'm going to write this article, or I'm going to create this art or design this logo or launch this what post, launch this account, whatever your goal is, as long as your goal, you don't want your goal to scope creep out of control. When I was sitting down like, okay, I want to record a podcast. I was like, okay, well, what if I do like six topics a week and make it a 45 minute podcast? And I was like, wait, hold on a second. I want this to be something that I can easily come back to. I want this to be something that I can do week to week. And even today, as I record this, it's Tuesday. I was supposed to go up yesterday. I wanted to record this on Thursday or Friday, and I just did not have time. But I wanted this to be something that's achievable and easy for me to sit down and write out notes for, something that's easy for me to sit down and record and then edit in a reasonable amount of time because the easier it is, the more achievable it is, the more bite-sized and digestible this project is of recording an episode of a podcast every week since it's just me and I don't have a budget and I don't have a team and I don't have anything to help me out right now. I really, really wanted to make sure that it was something that was achievable and doable and repeatable for me to easily come back to so that I actually follow through with committing to do it. I think that was what got me when I tried to launch a podcast last year, which may have already slipped from a lot of your minds if you even saw it at all. And that is kind of my goal at this point. But anyway... Make sure what you want to do, whether it's with a client or whether it's a personal project, make sure that it's something achievable. Make sure there's a defined start, middle, and end to whatever your project is so that you can actually follow through with it. Because if you get to the end of one part of a project and you don't have a defined goal or defined endpoint, you can easily be like, okay, I made that video. What if I made three more videos? Okay, I made this graphic. What if I made all of these graphics? Okay, I launched this event, but what if I do five more events? What am I going to do six months from now? What am I going to do a year from now? Strategy is fine. You have to follow through with something first before you can get to the things a year out. You have to discipline yourself with doing something repeatable and easy and bite-sized. You have to take the small steps first. You have to walk before you can run. Before that, you even have to crawl. You have to start small in order to set the big goals and stretch out to the future. We can't all start off being like a Gary V or something like that and crank out hundreds of pieces of content every week or every month or thousands over the course of a year. We don't all have a team like that. We can't be recording five, six, seven days a week for content or podcast or whatever, especially when it's not making us any money. We have to be reasonable. We have to start small. We have to start somewhere, and that is what's going to help you follow through and achieve the small goals that you want to achieve and actually get something out into the world, which I think is the most important part. Getting something out into the world is the most important part because once you do it once, you'll be driven to do it again and again and again. The third and final point that I want to talk about today is the right way of doing things. And 
for those of you listening to the audio podcast, that was supposed to be air quotes around the right way of doing things because I really don't think there necessarily is a right way in a lot of ways, but hear me out. Here's kind of my thought process here. All creative disciplines have their own best practices. And I believe that in creativity especially, although this applies to a lot of other things too, in creativity especially though, rules are truly made to be broken. But following the rules is required to learn properly. You need to know what's right to know how to tastefully deviate from it and do something that is considered wrong, I guess, or different from the norm that's breaking the mold. You have to know the mold. You have to be able to fit into the mold in order to break the mold. The mold is broken from the inside. The mold is broken once you've adhered to it. Here's our unique position as creatives. We desire to create beauty and create art and create something creative and amazing and captivating. Our clients, our clients are obviously, they're looking for some amount of beauty as well because otherwise they just make everything in Microsoft Word, but our clients are looking for practical as well as beautiful. And I think that often rules lay out the practical part of it rather than the creative or art part of it. For example, if you are a designer and you go into your design program of choice, if whether that's Photoshop or Illustrator or Canva, no shame for Canva users at all. It's really cool. I admit it. Whatever your design program of choice is, if you go in there and start to make a flyer or a poster for something, or even just a post for social media, let's just say a post for social media, because I'm sure that's something we've all made at some point or another. Let's say you're making a carousel post for social media. Are there certain templates and layouts for how you should do things that other people are all following? Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of different ways to do it. Some of the reasons that they do it is because there's a psychological aspect to design. As we, as humans, interpret information and read, read information, read words, read our screens. So you're trying to make something that's readable and something that's easy to digest and that, you know, you might want the headlines to all fall on the same place vertically or something like that so that your viewer's eyes don't have to go up and down the page to figure out where they should start reading. Maybe they all start near the top, all in the same place and all of that. And maybe you only use certain fonts and you only use certain weights and stuff like that. And you use this color on that color because it's really easy to read. Ultimately, all of these things, while nice design is interwoven with all of these things, at the end of the day, all of these things are really practical rules. You need it to be readable. You need it to be easy to understand and interpret and digest because if people don't understand something, you know, the average attention span, especially with TikTok and all of that, is as low as a couple seconds, if more than a second even at this point. It's extremely low. We have to grab people's attention right away and be able to pull them in and keep it if we want to keep people looking at our stuff. And this is applying more and more to anything, even off of social media. Any design or video or photo or whatever article you see out in the world, the attention spans, the amount of time you have to grab someone's attention is getting lower and lower and lower. So we need to get straight to the point. We need to be easy to interpret. But all of those rules are just rules from a practical standpoint. You can make art. You can make something that's useful. You can make something that's beautiful that's different, that breaks those molds and breaks from those trends, that still has valuable information in it, that still is laid out in an interesting and usable way, but those rules you have to understand are 
maybe the most likely to engage people that people have discovered so far. Those rules as well are also time-sensitive to some degree because design trends change. There was, you know, the minimalism trend kind of in corporate branding for a while, all of these different brands that had all very distinctive uh, logos and word marks and font choices and colors and all of that all really simplified down to like minimalism, sans serif fonts. Maybe they got rid of a lot of their brand colors in a lot of cases as well. They all switched to word marks from icons and things got really boring. Now, while that was maybe the trend at the time and a best practice and a rule to some degree for those large brands, it got boring. And now we're starting to see things swing the other way again. We're starting to see brands go into more funky custom fonts, a lot more colors and big pops of color and contrasts with color and stuff like that. Trends change. Rules change. Rules are meant to be bent with the current trends in the industry. So keep that in mind. You have to understand the rules a lot of the time to make something practical, but don't let that inhibit your ability to make something beautiful. You might create something that you just want to convey an emotion rather than a lot of information. In that case, screw the design trends. Forget about that stuff. Just make something beautiful. Figure out how to convey the emotion that you want to convey. Find something that's uniquely you. You can understand the rules. It doesn't mean you have to abide by any of them at all just because you understand them. And there are ways to get around some rules and abide by other rules. You know, for that Instagram post example, maybe you put all the headlines in the same place, but maybe it's in a weird spot. Maybe you put the headlines in the same place, but then everything else, like the body or use imagery or something like that to make it all unique and different and change it up and make it uniquely you. Ultimately, at the end of the day, especially if you're making stuff for yourself, keep it in mind that rules are made to be broken. But when it comes to client work, the rules are made for practicality. The rules are made to communicate clearly and concisely and quickly and grab people's attention in this intention-starved world that we have and that we live in. So keep that in mind. Next time you get frustrated by the rules, understand that there's a purpose to the rules, but they aren't meant to shackle or inhibit your creativity as much as they are to give you a good guideline to work within to make sure that you execute on what your client is wanting. Next time you're working on something personal, screw the rules, break free from the rules. But make sure you understand what the rules are before you try to break them. So keep all of that in mind. Let that be a challenge to you this week. And go out there and create something. Create some beauty and tag Create Space on it. If you were inspired by anything in this episode that I said to create something cool, I would love to see it. But thank you all so much for listening and trusting me with your time this week. My name is Brian. Once again, I'm your host, Editor Brian, on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. You can follow me on social media in the show notes below. And you can also follow Create Space on Instagram, also linked in the show notes below, and join the online creative community on Discord for Create Space, also, also linked in the show notes below. But thank you again so much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week, and I will talk to you all in the next one. Bye.